0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: This is Janine, and you are listening to Lunch with Loudon. Coffee Party Internet Radio is a part of our Be the Media project. For a complete list of Coffee Party Radio Network shows, go to www.coffeepartyusa.com and click on radio shows. Consider joining our team as a broadcaster, as a publicist, as a uh, backup. A broadcaster, as a co-pilot. Um, we're all in this together. We're all volunteers, and we're all here to be the media. So, power to the people. Because coffee party strategy includes using our social media presence to alert members and supporters of events and actions, I start each broadcast with a little segment I call, you get it, Power to the People. If you'd like to promote actions in your community, you can contact me directly. You can leave a message on my Lunch with Loud and Facebook page, or you can just call into a broadcast and, and share your event. If you have something to promote today, call 646-929-2495 and press 1 to be put in the host queue. When you call in, remember the civility pledge. For those who need a refresher, here it is. I can read it to you. As a member or supporter of the coffee party, I pledge to conduct myself in a way that is civil, honest, and respectful towards people with whom I disagree. I value people from different cultures. I value people with different ideas. And I value and cherish the democratic process. So that's my little ding that I separate events with, but hey, this week I'm just going to focus on two sources of engagement rather than go through the whole list myself. Um, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm just pleased this can be with what I have to share with you today. So the two sources of uh, events, actions, engagements uh, that I want to talk about today are resistandprotest.com, and townhallproject.com. So first, resist and protect. Um, the events list on this website is the best one I have. Not only do I think that you should refer to it, but I think you should contribute to it. They make it very easy. Hit a button, put your event in, and I think you should share it. Um, There are lots of events between now and broadcast next week, but I really uh, put it in the Lunch of and Facebook page. I send you there now. Um, Let me read to you from the About page on the website. We're citizens who are appalled by what's happening in our country, and thanks to the new wave of activism spreading across America, we know we're not alone. So we thought, what can we contribute? People are organizing with lightning speed, and not everyone can keep up with what they can do or how to help, or where they can go to help. Our goal is to collect as many events as possible in support of defending our democracy. This includes protests, rallies, teachings, forums, town halls, and trainings. As a matter of fact, if you want, you can go find the Progressive uh, Neighborhood Dinner in support of Black Lives Matter. I mean, they're all there. Everything is there from every town across America. We also aim to act as a historical record. So many events are happening around the country and around the world they can be hard to keep track of. And although we we likely won't capture all of them, even a small percentage is enough to remind us we're not alone and we've got to keep it going. The second page I want to remind you about, and again, is also posted on the Lunch with Loudon Facebook page, townhallproject.com. Um, remember, this is August recess. And so there are many, many kinds of town halls that are happening or not happening right now. And so um, well, let me again read to you from what Town Hall Project has to say about itself. Town Hall Project empowers constituents across the country to have face-to-face conversations with their elected representatives. We are campaign veterans and first-time volunteers. We come from a diversity of backgrounds and live across the country. We share progressive values and believe strongly in civil engagement. We research every district and state for public events with members of Congress. Then we share our findings to promote participation in the democratic process. This movement is diverse open source, and powered by citizens. We are proud to be a part of it. Show up, speak out. And so uh, I checked this out, and indeed all of the town halls that I know about were listed here. Um, The other thing that I find really interesting is they have a a diversity of, like obviously if my congressman has a town hall, it's listed. But there are also uh, districts where town halls are specifically not happening. And so they're having... Um, I don't want to say fake. Oh, the term they use is empty chair town halls. So people are coming together as though there was a town hall, and the empty chair is the guy who's not having a town hall. And there's there's they talk about how that's done. So there are lots of opportunities besides just tracking your elected, uh, but they're all about engagement. They're all about showing up and speaking out. So um, those are the two. Primary things I want you to think about and share with others. Participate fully and share with others. The one last thing I'm going to mention is August 24th to 27th. The Coffee Party Board of Directors is having its annual meeting. Um, the Coffee Party members should keep your eyes out for an email asking for your opinion on items for the board to consider. Now we've in theory closed. We've sent those emails out. We've in theory closed responses just because we're tabulating. But if you still have that email in your uh, inbox and you meant to respond but you haven't, please do. We also sent uh, a different questionnaire to people who follow Coffee Party but who are not members. And, again, if that's still in your inbox, please, it's not too late. Even though we're tabulating now, um, please respond. We're very, very interested in what our members and followers are, are concerned about these days. Now, on with the show. We're here today to talk about originalism, uh, a philosophy, of constitutional interpretation that not only looks to the mindset of the framers, but to the world as they knew it at the time the Constitution was being written. I think this is an important topic to me because I hear the word tossed about as some kind of explanation for this ruling or that decision. Justice Gorsuch declared himself an originalist during his confirmation hearings. But the more I delve into the concept, the more confused I become. I really want to understand. So I've turned to one of my favorite legally inclined and educated friends, Bob Woodburn, to talk about what originalism is, what it is not. And to perhaps discuss Supreme Court decisions like Supreme Citizens United, or maybe others, that seem inconsistent with what I've interpreted so far to be originalist ideals. So I'm, I'm poking my, my studio board now and want to say welcome, Bob. Welcome back to Lunch with Loudon, and feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners.
2: Hi, this is Bob. Woodburn. You might know me as Tutor Magic because when I'm on Block Talk, Blog Talk Radio, uh I use that as my username. Uh, I'm a constitutional scholar without portfolio. That's a fancy way of saying that I uh, don't have a BA. I've just Put in a lifetime worth of study on the Constitution, and I hope our listeners will enjoy hearing what I have to say.
1: Well, I will. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to this, you know, because I, again, I really did turn to Bob when I went, all right, this is now going in giant circles for me. I need someone to put a stick in the spokes and help me ground this conversation. So, Bob, when we spoke earlier this week, you did a really great job of defining originalism, and then uh, it's often confused sister philosophy, strict constructionism. And so I think maybe that would be the best way to start is for you to tell us about what originalism is, and then it's pretty hard not to segue into constructionism.
2: Right. Originalism basically is synonymous with framers intent what did the framers intend by the words and the punctuation that they put into the constitution of the united states now originalism is a form of constitutional interpretation because obviously we're no we're no longer living in the 1780s through about the 1800s or so and nobody's alive from that era we can discuss it with so it's interpretation of intent without being able to confirm it other through other than through the writings of the framers for for their ideas and thinking at the time, which of course the reader then interprets from there.
0: So
1: when you say the writings, you're talking about the famous letters between the framers as they were going through this long and arduous process to write the Constitution.
2: Not just that, but things like the Federalist Papers, um, Mm. they're, they're Correspondence with one another uh, prior, prior to and after the Constitution had been put into effect. Madison's notes on the Constitution, which weren't mailed to anybody. In fact, he was he was adamant that they should never be disclosed during his lifetime. Ah, so they are a lot, lot of, letters. Yeah, I I was waiting for you to finish. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs>
2: you knew about well, Madison's letters. Well, I had letters? heard of
1: Madison. I'd heard of Madison's notes, but I didn't. I for somehow it had escaped me that they were not released until after his death.
2: Right, he was a very private person and wanted to maintain. The secrecy surrounding the constitutional convention and its actual events until after he had died.
1: Oh, I see. Well,
2: that's in, that's
1: intense. So, so the uh, originalists look to the Constitution, to the phenomena of the day, or the knowledge of the day, uh, the letters. Prior after the Federalist Papers and things like Madison's notes, and from there, in theory, they evaluate cases brought before them and make and offer decisions accordingly. Yes? No?
2: Right. That's that's a pretty good description of it, Janine. Um, they they get the they get the case. They lay the facts and the law side by side, but then they have to they have to make the leap from the 1780s to today and one way that they do that in interpreting the constitution today is to examine what the framers meant by things like uh freedom of speech Freedom, uh, freedom uh, of religion, um, the right to keep and bear arms, particularly of importance in that one, is why the framers considered it important that citizens not lose their right to bear arms. And what bearing arms actually
1: meant. Right. 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 That's interesting. Well, and this became an issue for me. I think I've already mentioned when um, Justice Gorsuch talked about his being a, a uh, an originalist when he uh, was interviewed when he had his hearings to be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. And I right. was I was wondering then who you know what difference does this make to the world as I see it today. Um, one of the things I saw was that uh, Justice Thomas is a rabid, <laughs> a rabid originalist is, is what one article called him. But meaning really he would, there's almost no law made in modern centuries that he wouldn't undo based on what was known, understood, or predicted by uh, what life in the 1780s. Um, is that right. consistent with your reading of him?
2: And there, and there is the different. Yes, it is. And there is the difference, in my mind anyway, between an originalist and a strict constructionist. My thought is that Thomas is not an originalist in actuality. He is a strict constructionist.
1: Oh, well, then you have to explain that one now.
2: Not only when when thomas renders an opinion it is my thinking that he does not look to the intent of the framers he looks to the words and punctuation on the page only okay and there was a case called mcculloch versus maryland that's often cited The the details of that case aren't particularly important to this this discussion, except for a quotation by Chief Justice John Marshall, who wrote the majority opinion of the court in that case. And he said, and I quote, let it be within the letter and spirit of the Constitution Constitution And all things are constitutional Now the difference between Marshall and Thomas Is that Thomas believes it's stopping at the letter of the law
1: So the, the itty-bitty constitution that I have in my purse at all times Is his sole reference?
2: Basically, yeah, yeah Wow! Right. Wow!
1: So that's no—that's that, without being informed by Madison's notes or the Federalist Papers or the letters, the communications between the framers at the time. Just that itty bitty pamphlet.
2: That's that's his his chief uh, constitutional interpretive source. Now that doesn't mean that his opinion can't be informed. ...by citations from other justices in their draft opinions, okay? Because, remember, the chief justice assigns a case to either himself or another member of the majority if he is in the majority or uh, if he's in the minority... The senior justice, beside the chief justice, assigns to the majority, and the chief justice then assigns uh, to the minority, and anybody who's in the minority can also uh, write independently in dissent, just as anybody in the majority can also write independently in concurrence.
1: Right, right. Well, then, okay. So, if if an, an original, well, if he could be informed by uh, the majority opinion, the minority comments, whatever. What about precedent? How does someone see precedent if they're coming from this Justice Thomas
0: position? Okay. You know,
1: previously established law, but post constitution, um, post constitution before this decision.
2: Right. Um, stare decisis is is an important aspect of the law, um, but it is not per the Constitution itself the supreme law of the land. What's in that little itty bitty pamphlet is the supreme law of the land. So, what you have is is that the doctrine of stare decisis lets lets like fact scenarios come to like conclusions consistent with an unchanging itty bitty pamphlet the wow. contents of it okay yes so so the judges are are bound by the rule of precedent. But if they were solely bound by that, the Supreme Court would never have reversed itself as it did, for example, uh, when it reversed itself uh, and conformed to the dissent by Justice Harlan in Plessy versus Ferguson in the landmark case. Of Brown versus Board of Education, the first case gave mm. us Jim Crow laws. The second uh, was was most remembered for the uh, for the quotation in the majority opinion that um separate but equal is inherently unequal, yes,
1: yes. Uh, that's interesting because um, I I think someone tried to ask me the other day about um, whenever the Supreme Court had reversed itself because I was concerned about a different decision. And,
0: and I knew it
1: had, but I couldn't remember. And j- just as a personal aside, I have to tell you that that was the period of time when my political awareness was launched. You know, I was pretty young sitting there on TV watching segregation occur. You know, I, I was right. in the Pacific Northwest. This was occurring in the South. I, all the way from, you know, Governor Wallace standing in front of the doors of a university, telling a black woman she could not come in, and then right. all the way down to watching watching those little children who looked like they were dressed to go to church. You know, yes.
0: who were
1: who had to walk the gauntlet through these chiding and ugly. Uh, Sneering adults and I remember right. turning to my mother and this was like this white light moment for me I turned to my mother and I said mom how can these adults be so mean to these children and she just looked at me and shook her head and she said Janine some people never become adults and I was like
0: "Oh, whoa. well spoken <laughs> said, <"Am> I-? yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and
1: I was just like it rocked my world, but it made me see how my mother saw the world. Like if That's, it was, if there was injustice, it was a non-adult decision.
2: Right, right. Interesting perspective.
1: Right, right. But to get back, since I'm good at rabbit trails, and I know we're great on rabbit trails together. Um, yes. So obviously. <laughs> Obviously, these aren't the only two philosophies. I really want to sort of get a snapshot of what you just said about bound by the, not bound by the rule of precedent. And um, because I, I have questions specifically about the strict constructionism and other decisions. But before we go there, I'd really like you to tell me what other kinds of philosophies, there can't be only two philosophies that govern the Supremes, so to speak, and well, are there others?
2: Yes, there is. There is the philosophy of the living Constitution, and and basically that that started to take hold around the time of a case called Griswold versus Connecticut, where. Where the Constitution, well, actually, it it took first root in the words of Marshall. Let it let it be within this within the letter and the spirit of the Constitution, and all things are constitutional. But but after that, the court the court took its various steps down the road of history, and and. Basically regressed with regard to civil rights, which is how we got Plessy versus Ferguson after the passage of the Thirteenth, Fourteenth, and Fifteenth Amendments, the Reconstruction Amendments. Um, so you you had Plessy come down the pike, and and the court maintained a conservative a conservative view basically until brown and then the court decided griswold which opened up the whole the whole notion of actual privacy of the people you had cases like right. map versus ohio dealing with search and seizure uh, you had you had the follow-up to brown versus board of education in regard to school busing which they which they immediately saw was a mess and tried to back away from it obscenity was a tough subject for them on that basis too um and we are we are where we are today as a combination of both the originalism slash strict constructionist arguments in some areas, and in regard to the living constitution in other areas.
1: Well, and, and didn't. It wasn't Now, this is a very layman point of view, but as a feminist, right? I mean, Griswold was a, the case where contraception, the ability to use contraception was linked to your right to privacy. And apparently prior to that, there was certain, uh, there was either there was no privacy or it didn't give you the privacy to violate some religious construct. You know what I mean? I mean, the, there were religious constructs that had been implied in interpretation of the Constitution. Right? Right. And, and this one said, wait, the Constitution doesn't doesn't say there are limits to my privacy, other than the, okay. commit, the committing of a crime against someone else. I mean, obviously the law deals with well, that. But, so see, am I, where am I hitting the mark the and the where difficulty,
2: am I off? The difficulty is that nowhere within the 4th amendment which deals with searches and seizures okay does the mm-hmm. word privacy appear so the the Griswold case was important because it opened up much to the strict constructionists and originalists dismay the "Quote penumbras," end quote, of the Ninth Amendment. In other words, the state doesn't have a right to privacy. It's a public entity. Okay, so that right is not is is reserved not to the federal government or to the states, but to the people themselves.
1: Ah, so that right. So that's how you could sort of walk the stepping stones to this decision.
2: Right, right. And that has that has minimally opened the Ninth Amendment as a construction means for what popular rights exist and what what rights don't.
1: What what's an example of a right that doesn't exist in, okay. kind of, in that context of the sentence? All right, um,
2: a right a right that that doesn't exist is uh, engaging engaging in rioting for in
0: okay. instance
2: to control the people is vested in the government as to the public spaces, okay? Wherever yes. wherever uh, the Constitution says Congress shall make no law, that operates as a barrier and is subject to constitutional interpretation.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's interesting what you just said about the rioting because I know, for example, recently in Portland, well, several months ago now in Portland, Oregon, there was, um, you know, there was legal assembly, uh, expression of political speech. Uh, a demonstration by thousands and thousands—I forget the count now—but it wasn't one thousand or two thousand; it was like twenty thousand or forty thousand or whatever people. And right. twelve of them became vandals. <laughs> and, right. and
2: that's—they
1: were the usual. and that's where their and, Ninth Amendment so
2: rights were were tossed into the trash can along with anything they vandalized.
1: Exactly. And so what was interesting to me is how at the first response, in, not in local media, but in national media, was to call this the Portland Riot. And yet the Portland organizers to the riot were very clear that their constitutional rights, the constitutional rights of those who were demonstrating political speech, were violated right. by these 12 people. And it really cooled the jets of everybody. And so you've just explained to me one of the differences. If we have no, we have the right to assemble. We have the right to uh, free political speech, but we do not have the right to riot. So beware that word.
2: Right. And, and we do not, nobody has the right to engage in violence against other people or other people's property. Right. Okay. And yeah. and so if you're looking for a a time when the Supreme Court reversed itself, go to Brown versus Board of Education, uh, reversing Plessy versus Ferguson. And when you're looking for for the Hallmark Ninth Amendment case, go to Griswold versus Connecticut.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Because well, and because, the reverse. Go ahead. Because even in that decision, exactly, say where the where the Ninth Amendment starts and stops, because a basic rule of jurisprudence is you never touch an issue that hasn't been brought before you, and the right to <laughs> riot as a as a Ninth Amendment right wasn't brought before them and, in fact, is specifically outlawed by the words peaceable assembly in the First Amendment. Yes. Now, um, I regret this for our listeners' standpoint, but uh, somewhere there is a rather upset hummingbird, because at birth, I got his bladder and he got mine. So, um, if you could take a commercial break, that would be a good thing.
1: Oh, because you need to, um, I'll tell you what, I'll put you on mute and I'll do a little bit of talking and you could come back uh, when you, just raise your hand when you're ready.
2: Okay, and to raise my hand, I press one. Indeed. Okay, will do.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Bob. So we're going to segue here just for a minute. Usually I end the show with this one. It's called, I call it my Coffee Party Telethon moment. Uh, And I will read it to you. Coffee Party USA is totally funded by you, our members and supporters. Citizens United has not benefited us. By the way, I promise, we'll be talking about Citizens United when Bob comes back. We have no sugar daddy behind the curtain. It's just us, you and me. If you'd like to become a member, go to www.CoffeePartyUSA.com. Click on the big red Become a Member Today button. You can choose to be an annual member, a monthly sustainer, or a one-time donor. For you, I, uh, I celebrate your consideration of being one of us, those who support Be The Media, who support Stay Involved, who support the Vote Anyway, and who will be supporters and participants in the uh, efforts that will be announced after the annual meeting this year. So welcome, come. There's no, the only minimum is $5 a month. You, of course, can donate uh, as little or as much as you like. We've never had a uh, $10,000 gift ever. And so, <laughs> I mean, you could be any level of dinner, donor that you like. And we love your $5. Thanks. Okay, so I am now going to talk about a little bit about what I plan to talk to Bo- Oh, Bob is back. I don't have to talk about it without him. So, Mr. Woodburn, welcome back
2: thank you sorry about that and by the way just so I don't engage in plagiarism the joke I told about hummingbird and my bladders being switched that belongs to a comedian that belongs to a comedian named Skip Stevenson I heard that joke many years ago
0: excellent (laughs)
1: Well, I I got a a joke. I, this is silly. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I got a great joke on um, uh, Facebook today. One of my old uh, high school math teachers was just a punster, you know. And so today right. post was that his today's post was something like, um, well I I wanted to tell you about the race between two silkworms, but they ended up in a tie.
2: So, <laughs> there you go. That's cute. <laughs>
1: That's cute. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a jack-handy-ism. Uh, okay, so now we're back, and we were just talking about what a living uh, uh, constitution might mean, uh, what a strict constructionist might do, and what an originalist might do. And obviously, one of the issues of our day is the Citizens United decision. And I right. have... For a long time, I mean, when it first occurred, first of all, there's no accident that Citizens United decision was followed by the formation of the coffee party like 10 days later. There's no coincidence there. And then the other thing is that uh, when asked then, in real time, what should we do? My answer was, we should hire every lawyer we can afford because this will be settled in the courts. And um, I still feel that way, and our conversation, so my, in, my looking at the Constitution for the last five or six years, my looking at the um, what the Justice Gorsuch had to say, and my looking at this issue at all is really uh, an extension of my concern how in the name of heaven did that pass, and one of the things you just said that confused me was you never touch an issue not brought before you, and yet Wasn't the Citizens United decision a reach beyond the question?
2: Not really, because they had to determine the rights of the parties with respect to use of campaign contributions as speech without limitation. It it costs a lot to make a film. And the right. whole case revolved around a film about Hillary Clinton.
1: Yes. I so, remember and the timing of the release. The timing of the release of that film.
2: Right, right. So you had you had uh campaign funds at issue, you also had freedom of the press at issue and political speech at issue because the film itself was covered by freedom of the press the content of the film as far as the actual words and usages were covered by freedom of speech and then you had the campaign the campaign funds were used film and distribute it. And the question yes. the questions before the courts before the courts, yeah. Um were were those two questions plus um do corporations have the same rights as as people do? When it comes to these issues, otherwise they don't have standing to to sue. Okay. Now, obviously, yes. someone who publishes a film has the right to sue if they're if they're an independent film producer. Okay, one guy, one right. gal, you know, go make this film it goes viral either in theaters or on tv or on the web and and there's no problem there okay the problem arose in that it was a corporation that that was one of the parties to the action and they claimed freedom of speech freedom of the press yada yada yada, yada all kinds of personal rights including the right to make campaign contribution expenditures without limit
0: yes okay
2: oh, the, so
0: no.
2: so the court went went to the constitution in its various forms of interpretation and the citizens united decided and we all know how it came out okay right. corporations corporations aren't people but they do have they do have rights accruing to the people because they are composed of people okay and and in our conversation i gave you the example of a company that that is a uh, a general partnership or I don't wanna use a sole proprietorship on this one because it it makes things confusing. But but say you have X corporation and the government decides to go in and search everybody and everything in that corporation, the individuals of which that corporation are composed are going to be rather masked if they are told that the the argument for the right to search and seize is because they're at work, not at home. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I I mean, I do understand there's a practicality to the whole thing of what a corporation is. Um, It is a big, it's an interesting way to divert liability to a group of funders or beneficiaries of a corporation as opposed to, Uh, it diverts liability from those who operate or perform within the bounds of that corporation. I, you know, I, you couldn't have a checking account. You couldn't pay employees. You couldn't have employees if you didn't have some level of personhood in the eyes of the law. And I sort of get that. I mean, when I had my business, I had to decide, is this a, sole proprietorship, is this a corporation, is this a limited liability company, what, you know, how am I going to be doing business? And right. for me, I, I, I chose corporation because I operated in multiple states, had multiple job sites, and um, lots of clients who were um, either state or federal uh, organizations. And so it's just, in terms of my ability to interact with all of those clients and all of those employees, the law is definitely greased for a corporation where it is much more difficult for anything less. So, I mean, I can see, uh, I can see that. Here's my problem. The, 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 the rights of personhood seem to have morphed into the rights of citizenship in this decision. I mean, cause you're, what you described here was, this was a long staircase, one step, two step, three step, four step, five step, six step, uh, you know, to get to the point where the standing of all the actors is uh, is determined to get to the point where all the uh, reasons why any given entity has standing or under what conditions they would have standing, you know what I mean? This was not an uncomplex decision. And the, it was
2: very complex
1: you know, exactly I guess that's my point we didn't do any halfway thing and we didn't do a let's not do this until we can figure out all these interim steps and so I guess it, feel, it felt to me at the time and still feels to me today like it was many decisions and it certainly laid the ground for lots of things that have happened since that are direct results of those many stair steps uh, in that in that staircase from question to decision. And, right. the, and I do get very confused because if you go back to the founding of this country and then its subsequent constitution, corporations were not
0: uh, –
1: at least in the case of the East India Company, you know the that corporation was an enemy of the colonists. I mean, it was fundament, a fundamental issue in why we had the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party was not against government. Well, it was against King George's government that had given tax exemption to the biggest corporation in the world. Right. And the, so I cannot imagine a framer knowing what they knew in their lifetime and who could only observe uh, what was occurring uh, in his event horizon, how they could ever give preferential treatment to a corporation. And and so how how could an originalist or how could a strict constructionist vote the way this decision turned out? And yet they did. I mean, I thought everybody who voted for the Citizens United decision was one or the other of those two, originalist or strict constructionist. Am I wrong on that call?
2: Yes. Yes. Because because determining whether someone is a strict constructionist or an originalist or a living constitutionalist requires a label. It's a generalization, and generalizations mm-hmm. are generally false, including that one. Yeah. Okay, but that said, um, the the basis on which institutionalists could could argue in favor of of corporate rights as persons is by saying that corporations are nowhere mentioned in the Constitution as entities. So operate operate under uh, the power of con- Congress to, in, to regulate interstate commerce, which they've done. The state's Tenth Amendment rights to operate uh, corporations within their boundaries as sovereign entities with their own taxing power, which they've done, and the rights of the people that compose the corporation, because there's no such thing as a person-less corporation uh, to operate to operate as they've done, uh, with the authority to do it through the Ninth Amendment and other means. Those means were outlined in the opinion. I'm not saying they looked to the Ninth Amendment, but it had to be on their mind. Okay. All right. But then now, when when you go from there. Again, we're going step by step by step by step well
0: yeah. if
2: if you have a corporate environment where everybody from the CEO down to the lowest person on on the corporate ladder the the newbie the newbie to the office can be burst in on at any time. Um, Prived their rights as either a citizen, a person, or both, then that is not a good environment for business. And there is a certain practicality to decisions. The other, the other issue, whether whether corporate corporate entities have freedom of speech rights with money with money equaling speech we're talking about political speech here okay which the court using story decisis has has let evolve to the point where there there is virtually no way they are going to oppose a political speech case that, that is standard non-insurrectional speech on its merits. Now, what gives the power to that case is they said money is speech. Well, when you break that down, money is speech to the extent that it allows for publication of that speech and i'm using publication in the same way that it's used in slander versus libel um libel is written communication and slander is oral communication okay publication mm-hmm. of of a comment so if you talk to to two people on the same subject saying the same thing that's speech likewise if you if you work within a company that develops a film and spreads it far and wide the only difference is how how powerful a megaphone you're using
0: right
1: well I guess that makes some sense, except I still question the validity of political speech from a corporate mouth. In other words, what, unless it's in the mission statement of a corporation, most corporations are money-making enterprises, right?
2: Right, and, and, so, and they have a fiduciary and, and duty to their shareholders, et cetera, and exactly. to their employees, so though. We-
1: well, they have, a, they have a, di- a whole different kind of responsibility to their employees, but yes, yes. And there's huge bodies of law that govern corporate behavior, uh, presuming those liabilities, right? And so I just don't, I mean, I, so how is it that corporate lips, so to speak, could ever be politically involved but not have a financial intent? And so, you know, it to me the gray zone is a, a corporation would should never would never uh, speak or act act as a better one it would act in any way not in its financial interest, right? And financial interest, of course, That's can the be idea like you anyway, might yeah. Well, that's sort of the presumption of all these other bodies of law that exist for corporations, right? I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of things that only apply to corporations, and so you might a corporation might give money to the boys and girls club. They may not directly uh, make income um, from that, but they but create goodwill. They do good get will. tax
2: deductions. And,
1: and they get tax deductions. And they create goodwill, right. and so yes, there's right. a financial incentive for everything uh, um, a corporation does because it is first a business, and it is second a, a conglomeration of persons with a common business interest, right? So how right. is it that so how is it that Speech, if you want to call it that, that will directly or indirectly financially benefit that corporation ever be considered political speech within the definition of the Constitution? Because, it's a money-making endeavor.
2: <laughs> That's all well, it is. well, here's here's the thing, okay? Um, mm-hmm. The argument, the argument begs the question: if if it's not political speech, then why did why did they invest in it? Um, the same reason the same reason that you could use for an in individual political contribution, okay?
1: Well, except the no, it's not a no,
2: it's not charitable, yeah. and and yes, it's based on a best guess but if you want if you or anyone else wants to say that somebody on the campaign trail comes out comes out in favor of eradication of all taxes, and somebody else makes a political commercial saying that that they have offered to wipe out taxes including corporate taxes that that's not in their best interest or not perceivable as in their best political interest as well as in their best financial interest that i think won't won't pass the last cast okay so right, what right. what occurred was a corporate entity thought it might be a good idea to make the film about which Citizens United was at issue or in which Citizens United came about. That's what I'm trying to grope for grammatically here. Um, <laughs> you the, did very well. Yeah, The the object of the exercise was was to make a political speech that would benefit either the corporation or whoever made the decision on behalf of the corporation by making that film. Now, benef- political benefit can sometimes directly monetize a business by reduction of taxes or it can indirectly achieve a business goal. Uh, For instance, one candidate favors uh, generic drugs having, having an expiration and the company that originated the original drug can't buy out the company that that uh created the generic of their product just to get that generic off the market.
1: But a, you, a, all makes a sense pharmaceutical so. oh, company
2: that a pharmaceutical company that invested in a candidate that would allow them to do that would not be in their their interest and the the publication of a political film that opposed that would be in their best interest. Does that but, make sense? I, I
1: mean I Well, it it does make sense, but if we have to admit that Citizens United did not merely clarify some definitions and standing. It altered the entire uh, thing called corporate contribution, uh, called – I mean, it, it made – virtually super citizens out of corporations because they act, the rights of corporations actually exceeded those of individuals in terms of their ability to contribute to political campaigns in one way or another. Those costs could be direct or indirect. I, you know, they, can, they could be the movie or they could be the dollars. And so there's right. an inequity here even if you considered a corporation a person which I'm a long way from agreeing with. And I'm, I'm only farther away from agreeing when I look to see what was true in, at the time that the Constitution was being written. So how could Justice Thomas vote in favor of this decision, given that the arch nemesis of the colonies was a corporation that had political favor with the king? That it was so extreme that the whole phrase "taxation without representation" came from that inner, you know, exchange between that corporation, the biggest corporation in the world, right. who had brought down governments all by itself, had brought down right. governments. Right. Right. Well, I cannot envision
0: uh,
1: uh, someone who used that as their uh, their idea about how it matters of constitution constitutionality would be decided would ever not only give this very favorable interpretation to a business action via political results nor to the idea that not only are these guys you know political speakers but they have more rights than individual citizens so how can Thomas vote for that? if you
2: could name for me One right that a corporation has relative to political speech that a that a citizen does not. I'd like to be made aware of that. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I want to to hear it from your mouth rather than mine on this one.
1: Well, aren't you talking? Well, what I'm referring to is their unlimited ability to make financial contributions.
2: Yes, and and the counterbalance to that is called a political action committee. So they do not; no. they don't have more rights than than individuals do, so long as the PAC system remains in place, because you and I can contribute uh, x amount of dollars to. The pack, the corporation can use such money as it has available to create a pack, along with other corporations, mind you. But that, but that's simply a a collection into a pool that that the framers would have recognized, because remember, for every, for every. Uh, East India Company, on one side of the revolution, you had a guy like Samuel Adams on the other side of the revolution. Samuel Adams, John Hancock, Paul Revere, all were extremely wealthy merchants in their own right. Yes.
1: Yeah,
2: so, but they were Americans. You know, well, <laughs> right, right. And and the Supreme Court wasn't determining British rights in in the Citizens United uh decision. It was interpreting American rights and how the framers construction or originalist argument they were interpreting rights of Americans with regard to an American political situation where money is now not just a means of printing penny pamphlets, but is instead used in ways the framers could never have dreamed of in terms of today's technology uh, encompassing Everything from radio to television to social media.
1: Right, right. Well, so I want to back up to a couple of things. One of them right. is you talked about PAC. Uh, you talked about PACs, and I remember when they started. It was the eighties. Yeah, it's a post Reagan thing, or during the Reagan administration, this thing came into being. Am I? I'm correct? Right. Yeah. I. And and so this is a PAC is very new. And I think one of the differences between being a corporate shareholder and being someone who contributes to a PAC is, one, you actually have control over what's done with your money in the sense that if I join a PAC that wants to uh, save national parks, right, they're not going to use my national park money to fund, you name something else. You know, it's not going to go to the VA. This money is going to go to national parks. It's not going to be support your veteran movement. So I opted in with that contribution. I'm not a big believer in PACs, I want to tell you. But I get, you know, I I get that it's a pretty level ground in the sense that uh, you could you can give it five dollars, you can give it five million dollars, whatever. I don't know. All I know is that you know exactly to whom you are giving the money and you know exactly what they're gonna do with it. Counter right. that with our new counter that with our new invention, the super PAC. You know, very dark. I mean you can think you know, you could say, Hey, I believe in liberty and I'm a super PAC. Right. You may, not, you may or may not know where that money is going because in the end, the audit standards for these two organizations are very different. A PAC right. has to tell you how much they spent on what precisely. So if they yeah. contributed to three senators who wanted to support the, um, the national parks, you know it. If they supported, who knows, certain legislature, people in legislatures who had national parks that they wanted to preserve in their state, you know it. You give your money to a super PAC, you may not know. And one of the places this irks, people seem excited about this on the one hand, but the other place it irks them is when that super PAC is actually, or that donation organization is actually funding uh, terrorist activity. Or, you know what I mean? We uncover these people. But most dark money, most you're dealing
2: with the extremes here. You're dealing with the extremes here.
1: Although there is a do, a design for extreme in just in the fact that super PACs are money dark, being in the counting term, which means right. they are not accountable, and so right. we, we're evolving. At the time, you know, I this is where I don't think that the uh, inertia, the public legal inertia is is healthy but then you add to that your most recent comment and these are my questions i I'm, I'm not being accusatory i hope you know that about me i'm really trying right. to
2: right you're
1: you're trying to
2: discover in. my thoughts on the subject as, as i'm trying to discover yours
1: yes brilliant so you said american political consideration but there's a whole lot of literature about out there about corporations who make sizable contributions in, in the political venue who have huge right. shareholder populations who are not right. Americans. And yeah. um I mean I just printed out and it so I'd, there's a concern right there.
2: Yes if but if it is a foreign a foreign state corporation they can't contribute okay oh, right. the court that's the court was not willing to grant a a foreign state corporation the power to affect american elections i mean that that would be unthinkable to them because the one thing that separates the the three branches, okay, the president gets the sword. The Congress gets the purse. You know what the court gets? A shield. The shield of popular opinion. And if popular opinion turns against the court, there is Popular, popularly perceived illegitimacy of that decision. That's why it took so long for, from the date Brown versus Board of, of Education came down, from that date to acceptance even of multi multi racial public schools. Yeah. Because in in the South and the North there were varying degrees of dissent to that decision. Yeah. So the court has to be careful how far it goes because if if a court if a court is not perceived as the ultimate to use Justice Roberts term, the ultimate caller of balls and strikes then then you have a baseball game going on without without a referee and if a fight breaks out on the field you have no order. Right. That's the whole purpose right. of the court. Of the judicial system, not just Supreme Court, the judicial system as a whole well
1: in in you know, I get the need for the rules of the road and I get the need for traffic cops and I get the need for law that evolves as technology and infrastructure evolve. And, you know, so all those analogies work really well for me, Bob. But here's my thing that that I was sort of trying to, the point I was trying to make a minute ago, which is um, uh, foreign ownership of American assets is right. growing and growing and growing. As a matter of fact, it outpaced it was in the nineteen American- eighties.
2: It was in the nineteen eighties oh, yeah. too. The only difference is instead of England owning the United States in terms of assets, most people will tell you it's China now.
1: The well and the information that I have is um
2: yeah. Because they but, are our biggest it, it, predator it,
0: well,
1: At the moment. you and I actually both know that the biggest creditor is Social Security. But uh, when you talk about a well, foreign government, well, well, I thought, I thought yeah. Belgium was b- above China. But but, but if here's it the is, point. I'd, if I'd be very
2: surprised.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I but we have the growth of. Foreign ownership of American accesses paces American ownership of foreign assets. So how can a corporation that is globally traded and globally owned, basically, how can it claim citizens' rights? How can it claim that, what is it, send something to all the shareholders and say, we want to give this much money to this organization, and if you're a foreign shareholder, you can't vote? I don't think so. I know that's not what happens. It's why I divested in 2005. It's because I have no say what that corporation does with my level of ownership, right? If I'm not Mr. Buffett, I don't have anything to say about what they do. And so unlike a PAC or even a super PAC, you really have no idea until you look at the, the after- Uh, you know, afterwards you might find out that IBM gave this kind of money to those kind of candidates, or you might, you may, you may not. And the darker the money, the less likely. The darker the money, the more open the opportunity for foreign contribution to American political activity. And I cannot believe that either an originalist or a strict constructionist would think that was okay and wouldn't somehow barter in or at least acknowledge that would be an exception or a threat to the rule. So steer me well, clear of this one if you that's, can.
2: <laughs> that's an interesting argument. I'll give you that. Um, the The problem is what do you do with such combinations to preserve the rights of citizens who are also shareholders. In other words, it creates a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't situation.
1: But it doesn't preclude a citizen who's also a shareholder from personally contributing. That's Ah, the personal right of that Ah, individual. But
2: it does because of the individual contribution limitation rules.
1: Ah, so this is a way to get around individual contribution rules.
2: Right. That's exactly <laughs> what what packs and super PACs fa- super packs get formed for, so that they so that they can pool money without regard to well, who or what it comes from. That's yes. that's how that yes. old whole idea came about. Soft money versus hard money. Packs versus super packs. Dark, dark, dark money versus dark. transparency. Yeah, darkness right. versus transparency.
1: I'm going to do this again. You win. <laughs> I mean, okay herein lies my con- herein lies my concern and so okay okay we're activists we are politically engaged we believe in the due process of law and we believe in law and order we believe you know so i think what's one do um if we see a flaw or an unanticipated downstream consequence of a decision um Obviously, there's been reversal. Obviously, right. uh, things have gone sideways in the justice. But who then would have standing? Now, there are political organizations out there or, group, or citizen activist organizations out and about who right. are have various ways of challenging or are trying to challenge in a legal way. Uh, move to amend is one of them, but there are others, right? The, right, right. That are challenging that decision and creating standing for themselves to be able to challenge it. And and right. I they understand. Have, you, go ahead.
2: For the benefit of our listeners, they have to show that they have an in uh, an interest in the reversed outcome of any case which they would file to overturn Citizens United. Right. In so other what words, might they have example- to have they have to have a tangible interest, not just a hypothetical one.
1: So, an uh, so a tangible interest That's a that's an interesting, you know. I mean, if you were going to make one up, if you thought that if you thought there had been a misinterpretation of the Constitution in the Citizens United decision right. who might have a tangible interest in the reversal of that decision right what would an example be
2: um, someone someone with an in, in someone with a political opinion opposed to that expressed in Citizens United, who has been enforced against as a result of the rules of law set down within the Citizens United case and any case that that is of the same character for which Citizens United would be precedent. In other words, a okay, case, so went- a case that not that has not yet been heard, but when it's heard, that adds to the line of story decisis as another uh, arrow, another arrow to the quiver.
1: Okay, so it's not enough for me to be a citizen who is concerned about foreign money in American campaigns.
0: That's or would correct.
1: That be, but it could be if I wanted to donate a billion dollars to a candidate and I was disallowed or found guilty of having done it. And then my argument was, well, corporations can do that. Why can't people? Is that standing?
2: Um that's a that's a good question. That one would require more research on that particular subject than I have done.
1: And of course, you know, if we have a listener out there who could to who could be the test case, hey, I'll support you to the max. I'll visit you in jail and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring you a cake with a file in it because I really think that just like I said way back then, just like I said in 2010, this the only solution to what feels to be a progress, progressively impactful constitutional misinterpretation <laughs>
0: uh, yes.
1: is for, the, for, the, for the courts to kibosh it completely or kibosh that part of it that makes it dark. or You know what I'm saying? Some part and of they- it has to have a stick in the spokes.
2: They have the capacity to do that, just as upon presentation of the evidence, blacks had the ability to do that. African Americans had the ability to do that. Uh, even, Even Africans in the strict sense of the word had the ability to do that because they were they were subject to the jurisdiction of the state and and were not given equal protection of the laws of that time.
1: Yes. Yes. And so that I mean it it, because the constitution
2: says person in certain places and citizen in others.
1: well exactly and i and that's an interesting distinction and you know we're going to run out of time soon so i'm not going to open that and if you're available next week i'd love for you to come back and we could go farther from there but i have one question that even the most brief of answers the briefest of answers would be helpful to me today and okay. that is there are people who there are people who are seeing uh, a solution to problems like uh, judicial misinterpretations of the Constitution, whether it's Citizens United or others, frankly, who believe right. that uh, that who believe that a um, oh the words are slipping out of me um, the constitutional convention would be a way to solve these problems.
0: Yes, and, it
1: would. Uh, well. Right. And that's it's certainly allowed for in the constitution. I think uh 34 states have to agree. Yes, isn't that the number? Yeah. And it, it, in those um in those con- uh in those conventions pretty much anything right. goes. Anything goes. Right. That's and so correct. You, you and I you and Depending. I have had conversations about Go ahead
2: yeah depending on how how each state chooses to allow its delegates to proceed in other yes. words they can they can go for amendment by the entirety or they can all sit down and say wait a minute some of this is really good we ought just make an, an amendment here, 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 and here to fine-tune it, because it's worked for 200 years plus. Right. Okay? Right. Um, what a constitutional convention would indicate to me is recognition without, without a constitutional convention, we may have a, a second civil war.
1: Well, and I've heard that before, and again, if you're free next week, I'd love to have you back, or in a, soon. It doesn't have to be next week. But the, the whole idea of a constitutional convention is interesting to me. The fact that it's been linked up with civil war is interesting to me. But the other thing that's interesting is who uh, the disparity of groups who are promoting a constitutional convention. In other words, you know, right. Alec, the – American Legislative Exchange Council, who I consider to be, you know, the Boris Badenov of, or, you know, think of some bad guy, the Lex Luthor. That's right. It. The Lex Luthor of American politics today is all about the Constitutional Convention. And I think that's in part because they've got a lot of momentum right now. Um, but
2: there's a lot, lot of there, momentum the on the other be. side, too. There's yeah. a lot of momentum yeah. on the other side, too, because what you have is marijuana not protected by an amendment uh in the same way alcohol is
1: yes good okay.
2: example yeah yeah and and more than 34 state legislatures independently voted to allow marijuana to be sold commercially, either for medicinal purposes alone, or for medicinal and recreational purposes, which is enough to amend the Constitution if they can agree on a wording. And once they once they got in on that basis, they could then rewrite the Constitution wholesale if they chose to.
1: Yes. Wholesale. That's that's it just makes my yeah. Know, I got by the bumps on the back of my neck. I yeah. got the bumps on the back of my neck when you said that. That just creeps me out because one of the things I adore about this republic's democracy is that due process is uh, the process is clear enough to be understood and navigated, but it is also cumbersome enough to allow for debate, disclosure, you know, contemplation and uh, right. the need to reach for agreement. And I think the reason that this democracy is over two hundred years old is because we have learned to the law makes us all count to ten, so to speak. Yeah. Before rash decisions are made. That's so
2: please That's true. Please
1: promise me. Yeah. Please promise me that we'll get together again soon on one of these broadcasts. We'll continue our conversation about the Constitution, but maybe delve more deeply into the Constitutional Convention as uh, you know, is it a threat? Is it a solution? And what would the criteria be for any of that? I'll see if we can get, I can find someone to join us who maybe has, uh, is involved in one of those groups, left, right, and center uh, who has an opinion about that. I think it'd be great And and uh, I think I've it would enjoyed be our true. conversation Yes I have enjoyed our conversation Immensely today Thank well, you Well, I'm, thank I'm you. glad thank and you.
2: I enjoyed it immensely as well So I want to thank you Coffee Party USA Coffee Party USA Radio And all of your listeners Who joined us For being a part of this Conversation and I guess it's time to say coffee party on. <laughs> mahalo, aloha, and coffee party on. Mahalo, mahalo, aloha, and coffee party on.
0: Bye for now. <laughs> Excellent. Bye.